Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk with musician and documentarian Matt Hinton about his work in the band Luxury, as well as his documentary about the band Parallel Love. Matt Hinton's documentary Parallel Love, the story of a band called Luxury, has a couple of very interesting wrinkles. Not only is the Georgia post-punk band an act you've likely never heard of, the reunited act now features three members who are Eastern Orthodox priests, and director Hinton is part of the band as well. That's before you get into the fact that Luxury is an often forgotten part of the early history of Christian label Tooth and Nail Records, or the terrible accident which almost ended the lives of the band members. It's a fascinating story filled with music you're sure to wish you'd heard when you were in your teens, as it's so richly layered and evocative. So it was with some excitement that I hopped on Zoom with director Hinton, who also now plays guitar for Luxury, to talk about all of this and more. Again, thanks so much uh, for talking to me uh, about your film. Absolutely. Have uh, you had a chance to look at it? I have. I watched it this weekend. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I, I was really curious as to like how difficult is it making a documentary when like you are part of the story itself? Right. Um, uh, how difficult is it? It's difficult to make a documentary period. Yeah. Um, and I was definitely uh, conscious of the fact that um, that it's lame to make a movie about a band that you're in. <laughs> That's just a dumb thing to do. But uh, when I saw what was going on around me in terms of making the new record and three of these dudes are priests now. And it's like, Oh, this seems interesting. I feel like it's interesting. And I had made a film before at another uh, 
feature documentary. So I kind of knew how to make a movie. And um, uh, so I decided that I should do it probably. So, um, but as far as like, once I got into it and once I, you know, I had somebody else, somebody else interview me, mm. uh, somebody who kind of knew enough, but more particularly was a guy that I know that I sort of feel like gets the best out of me uh, anyway. And, um, uh, but he didn't know everything. So he was able to genuinely ask questions and, and press into it a bit. So once that was there, I mean, in general, like I would have been very disappointed if, um, so most people, like when we've had screenings, most people, when I stand up and like for a Q and A, they're like, oh, you're that one guy. <laughs> and um, uh, so it's, I don't think it's generally obvious when you watch it that um, that I'm the filmmaker, that that dude that's me is the filmmaker. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it totally you does. You may have known that going into it. That wouldn't surprise me, but. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, I knew, but like even, like your appearance in the film isn't sort of like, uh, hey, look, it's the guy who's also behind the camera for the other like ninety eight percent of this, <laughs> right? No, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't have liked that very much, it, <laughs> mainly because of my discomfort with the whole with that whole thing. But once, from an editing point of view, I do feel like I was able to be, um. Uh, I just treated my interview footage as just another asset that was just trying to tell the story that I was trying to tell. So I was, I was able to be fairly dispassionate about that piece of it. Other than if one person said the same thing that I did, I would generally let them say it. Oh, that makes that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Uh, Did you always intend for Parallel Love to be like an all-encompassing story of luxury, or did it like? It it seems like it is based around like the 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 documenting of the making of trophies. Uh, sorta. Um, I, I would say that that was the occasion. That's that's present time. That's like the present for the film, right? So it begins with that, and then, and then the entire film, so to speak, is um, is sort of a flashback that gets us back up to present day. It um, is the bridge of San Luis Rey, like frame tale. I'm sorry, say again. The the bridge of San Luis Rey, like frame tale, sort of wraparound. Right. Yes. So. Um, uh, so no, I knew that it was going to be more than just, uh, the making of a new record because I don't assume that most people in the world knows the band to begin with. So it, it took some work to get us to that point. And part of like, as I was making it, I'm like, well, part of the story is, okay. If most people don't know this band, then why do most people not know this band? So that got us down a different path in the story that I had no intention of telling to begin with, which was the association with a Christian rock label um, uh, from the beginning, which wound up sort of coloring uh, the uh, 
giving the band a kind of reputation and maybe limiting the scope of the work that the band could do. Um, that being part of it and the other being, you know, the wreck. So, and I knew I was going to talk about the wreck for sure, because I had the footage. I had the, like the hospital footage. Now, the the interesting thing. Are we, by the way, are we talking about this like this? I mean, we, uh, uh, we're not worrying about spoilers and I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Spoilers. Yep. Um, or if it gets too spoilery, we'll, we'll, I, I, I think I I can't think of anything that is a spoiler. I mean, it's put it this way. I think that it would be best if somebody were to watch it without knowing anything going into it, but let's face it. Why is anybody going to watch it (laughs) unless they know a couple of the things? Now the, 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 the thing that sort of comes up, several times in the the myriad people who are who you speak with over the course of parallel love is sort of like luxury was just a a little too soon like because like their sound like the the interesting thing about all of like i don't even know a a good way to put this well I, i i guess to to go with the idea of um, being on tooth and nail, right? Like mm-hmm. tooth and nail wouldn't be so much a problem. It, like a few years down the line, where sure. you know bands like Goaty Hook or um, MXPX, I guess, would be like like crossed over and, and went huge, even though th- like that pigeonholing didn't take place for for them um and then like the the band's sound like we you know we, within you know just a a a a year or two like you hear you know lee lee's vocal stylings are I know Morrissey gets brought up a lot, but like I listen to I listen to those early luxury recordings, and I'm like, oh man, like Radiohead fans would have eaten this up. Like, yeah, I mean, for sure. So, and like, they, really, and I would, and and a touch point for us at the time, I think, was um, was Suede as well. Mm. Like there was a there was a uh, particularly on the first couple of records, there was sort of a brashness and swagger about about it that was. Similar in my estimation to to that first suede record, and um, yeah, there are a few things like that that um, that, but certainly Radiohead, and you're not the first person to have brought that up. And also, like uh, thinking uh, you mentioning suede also makes me think of someone like Pulp. Like it's like yep, like, right. Like there's a very right Jarvis Cocker yeah. <laughs> is, a, is a clear, but you know, I think that a lot of these guys. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen any footage of, of Jarvis Cocker uh, performing live prior to the 90s, early 90s, maybe. Um, so I don't know how much he was influenced by Morrissey, but but I know that that Tom York, not from a, a um, performance point of view, but just musically was so influenced by the Smiths. So I wonder if, if that's part of it. It's just that sort of drawing from the same well that... Um, uh, that Lee was sort of arriving at some of these things in the same way that they were. Well, since we're we're talking about like live performances, like it 
it seems as though the live performances were really where luxury shined. Yes. Where does all of this footage come from? Because it seems like you really benefited from the band existing during this time where like home VHS, like camcorders were portable. It was possible. Ish yeah. And affordable. Yep. Yeah. Well, at that point it was eight millimeter. If we're being particular mm-hmm. about uh, the media medium, but um, so a lot of it was stuff that I shot before I was in the band. Uh, Cause we were, you know, my band was friendly with them and we would, we would see them and, or we would play together or whatever. And I'd bring a camera along to, to uh, shoot it or, you know, or I borrowed it from other stuff. So, or from other people rather. So um, yeah, I mean, there was in almost every case, whenever I wanted to, you know, the, the rule in film in documentary filmmaking is you want to show and not tell as much as possible. And um, I don't know that I always abide by that rule, but (laughs) in general, it's a good one. And almost in every case, I had something to show, you know, in every, in every phase of the band's career, I had some kind of footage or some sort of photograph or what have you, with one exception. I'll tell you what that exception is later if you want to talk about it, but, but, um, uh, but in other respects, like I, I had a wealth of, of footage available to me, either because I shot it myself or because, you know, other people that I had access to had already done so. The idea of a band like pigeonholed by its existence on a Christian label has a certain ironic counterpoint in three members becoming priests uh and, right. and then making music is is that like a a difficult tightrope to walk where you're wanting to make this a movie about the band and not strictly about the band and their faith both pre and post uh yeah like it's in- it's a I think I see where you're going. It's it's um, it's a strange thing because um, so it is a cliche that um, Christian bands always say, "Well, we're not a Christian band, but we're Christians in a band," and and they and they all say, "Yeah, but yeah, everybody says that, but for us, it's true." And what I want to say is is the same thing is. <laughs> For us, it's true uh, because th- there was there. Uh, I mean, particularly on the first couple of records, there was just zero anything that I don't know. I mean, you'd have a hard time finding anything that you could characterize as having any sort of Christian content at all. And there were other bands that were sort of similar to that, but they would always say, you know, uh, there would always be like a thanks to God or whatever in the liner notes or or. Um, something like that. But, um, but I don't think that you, I don't think anyone could pick up, for example, the first luxury record and ever imagine that it had any, there was any uh, connection to Christian world at all, because that wasn't what uh, Lee was interested in writing about lyrically. And that was the record, you know, the first, first song on that record was about a transgender kid which in 1995, nobody was really talking about. And um, so, uh, so I think 
I mean, maybe there are other bands that uh, th- that it's true of, but I don't really know that world all that well. Like I'm, I, um, I'm just not that familiar with with tons of like Christian rock bands. So maybe there are others like that, and and if so, that's fine. But um, but yeah. So the the point though is that on one hand, I want to make pains to in the film want to make pains to say, yeah, but it's not really you know it's just sort of. I mean, in the case of uh, of Tooth and Nail, the basic situation was they said, and this was in the very early days, they were among, Luxury was one of the first bands that got signed to that label. And the angle for Tooth and Nail at the time was, look, we're not trying to be a Christian label at all. We just, you know, realize that there are bands in this sort of milieu that are, um, uh, that are still interesting and doing interesting things that happen to have Christians who are in these bands, but, but, um, and, and, and man, like they had some cool bands. Uh, I mean, like Danielson family is a great example of like (laughs) a really super interesting band and they escaped, like they escaped that world. Um, part, and I'm not certain why, because they were like explicitly Christian in a lot of ways, other than that they were awesome and, that was hard to, but they had some distribution. I mean, they were they were only on Tooth and Nail at the beginning, and and were then distributed by Secretly Canadian, I think. Um, uh, Joyful Noise, I think. Joyful Noise, but I think Secretly Canadian in the early days. Yeah, maybe I'm yeah. wrong. You no, would, I think, maybe I think you would probably both. Yeah. So um, and um, and you know, like I mean, you could name. There are a lot of people that um, well. Let me just get back to this. The the they were signing some cool bands like them and and uh, Starflyer Fifty Nine and and a few other things that were sort of that were interesting to um, to us in luxury. And uh, again, I wasn't in the band yet, but I knew what they what was on their mind. And and the angle was like, yeah, we're just we're just trying to be a regular label. So it seemed to luxury like tooth and nail was like the the label version of luxury they just wanted to do good music and they you know they named all the right things um in terms of yeah we're trying to get into magnet we're trying to get into you know to all the you know ap or whatever the things that were big at the time the um media outlets that you would want to get to as a regular band and um but I think what happened with Tooth and Nail, and I, don't, and I think they were being completely earnest. I don't think that there was anything about it that was dishonest or whatever. But I think that the reality was that because they had a background, the guy that ran it had a background in um, uh, with a Christian label. He had he had worked with a Christian label before. That that was his um, was his uh, where his some of his connections were. And he wasn't going to say no to a distribution, uh, uh, a, a distribution. What's the word for it? Like Source a path. Or path. Um, and um, so it wound up giving. It was complicated for bands that were were on that were distributed in those kinds of ways, and it made it more difficult um, to be seen as a legitimate band because you know, like everybody knows the what is it the 
South Park or something uh, <laughs> that you're not making Christianity better, you're making rock and roll worse or something like that. And of course, that, I'm sure that that's true in general. And um, but that that reputation um, doesn't do anybody any favors. So so it, from the point of view of making this film, like part of it is like, you know, originally I wasn't going to mention anything about the Christian market because that didn't like that was something that we were trying to avoid from the beginning anyway. And um, uh, so I just wasn't going to say anything about it. But then it was just sort of like, well, how do I, you know, it, it was hard to explain certain things without talking about that. So I wound up talking about it. And I do think, I think that people who who are not from that world actually have found it more interesting than people who did have experience in that world. It's like, oh, that's a whole nother. <laughs> and it's not, it's, it's, um, I mean, I think my perspective on it has changed a little bit on account of making it because, you know, every the parents of every generation have something to be afraid of. Like there's some, some boogeyman that, that people are scared of. I mean, right now, obviously it's COVID, but before that it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, when you have like anti-vaxxers or something like that, people, and I don't mean like anti-COVID vaxxers, but they're like anti-vaxxers from right. before. It's not, it's not coming out of a place of just sheer insanity. It's coming out of a place of wanting to protect your kids. And I don't know, does it cause autism? Like, does it? I don't know. And and as soon as you put that question mark in people's minds, it's like, well, we've got, we have to protect our kids. And similarly, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember the 1980s, but- Satanic panic. Yes, that was a real thing. That was like, like on the news kind of real thing. And so- People did not want their kids to get, you know, razor blades in their their apples at Halloween. They didn't want a satanic cult to come and steal their kids. They didn't want all this kind of stuff. And the 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 obvious way that was going to happen was through Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Was through rock and roll. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, even if they weren't sort of um, sort of doctrinaire, sort of Christian sort of people. They'd say, well, like, we just want our kids to be safe. And and here's a Christian bookstore over here, and they were selling, like, safer version of rock and roll or whatever. And so that's that's how we're going to keep our kids safe. Oh, and I, yeah. I, I understand that impulse. I, I It's not how I've, I'm raising my kids, but I understand the impulse. Um, uh, so anyway, I don't – I. I used to begrudge that industry more so, but now I'm sort of at a point where, okay, I understand why it existed. And, um, uh, and you know, a lot of people came out of that, that world, like people that we know who are, you know, really good, like respected musicians who come out of that, who came out of that world, but have moved on to other kinds of things. You know what I mean? You're, 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 David Bazan's and, yeah, and sure. Daniel's like I, I I interviewed Daniel Smith uh yeah. like a month or two ago about like a, a soundtrack he did for a movie that is about a Christian heavy metal band yeah, in yeah, the yeah. 80s, right uh, Electric Jesus which is yeah fantastic um and and he's and by the way aren't those songs they're so, so good <laughs> like so good oh yeah no like watching that movie. he's a he's a genius by the way like oh, Daniel yeah, Smith no. is. He's yeah. the real deal. It was, uh, I think that's actually the ne- next episode of the podcast. Uh, oh, cool. Is that episode? But um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting because of like given 
uh, like I didn't grow up in that like heavily Christian world, but because I grew up in a small town in Kansas, I grew up with all of my friends being part of that. So like, like doing things. You you were not the, you were not the class clown, but you sat next to the class clown and you studied him. Right. So like doing things like, like, Hey, do you want to go to this thing? Sure. And finding out like, it's a Jerry Johnston (laughs) crusade. Uh, and then like ending up with a copy of like the edge of evil or like a friend whose mom thought turmoil in the toy box was like a real serious book. Um, (laughs) I have to, I have to ask, like, it seems that you got like a lot of people who were part of Luxury's story, like from the beginning to, to speak on the record. Were there any folks who weren't interested? And if so, how did that affect Parallel Love? No, no, I, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, there were a couple of people that would have been nice to have talked to who we couldn't make it work for a timing reason or something like that. But um no, I don't think that, uh, yeah, other than people I just couldn't reach or that we couldn't make it work just logistically, there wasn't anybody that didn't want to talk about the band. Because, I mean, if you knew the band, like if you were the kind of person who would be into that kind of thing and you knew the band, then you loved that band. And that was what I was, ex- that's what I experienced when I reached out to these people. There have been some people who have been like, well, yeah, these are friends of the band. I'm like, and, <laughs> that's not true. Like these are not, it is in a couple of cases, like uh, Andy Prickett is one guy who's in it, who's so well-spoken and and great, but he was in a band that toured with luxury, you know, in the early days. So he was able to, but, you know, I mean, they've spent uh, all of, you know, a month together ever kind of thing. So it's um, yeah, not, close chums but he was quick to say yes i will absolutely talk about this well i think the the fact that you have like lars gotrich who yep. who is i think kind of the perfect like music journalist to speak with like given his like the his background and also like his current pedigree as part of npr music like he 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 seems like like when i saw him talk like pop up on screen i was like oh okay like okay he is going i know what he says is going to be illuminating and worth listening to yeah for sure he's a smart dude he happened to be from georgia so he was a fan of the band to begin with so uh he was he went to to uh, uga which was not, is not very far from Tacoa, Georgia, where the band was from. So that was the nearest big town, so to speak, that um, that was nearby Luxury. So Luxury played Athens a good bit. So the the film is, is playing um, a lot of festivals. Uh, like, what are the plans for like its eventual like is are you working towards like a, a release on streaming services and things like yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, it did festivals thankfully before the pandemic. So, um, and then during sort of pandemic times, it's been in sort of a, a holding pattern, but, but yeah, we now have a release date, a digital release date, which is May 18th. So it's right around the corner. Um, 
so that it'll be on digital platforms beginning May 18th and we'll spread out to, to get on more and more, but it'll be, you know, iTunes and Amazon and what have you. Now, um, I have to ask, and this isn't really related to anything, but I'm just sort of fascinated by it just personally. Like, can you explain like how you went from like theology to filmmaking to burritos? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I am able to do that. Um, so, okay. Uh, theology was, um, so I studied philosophy and religion and in, uh, college and did grad school in the area of theology and began teaching, uh, in a very, in various sort of capacities and places, uh, uh, from college to, well, just in various sort of ways, uh, from the time I graduated, uh, all the while playing music. And, um, so, uh, in the, in the, in around 2007 or 2008, I started, uh, my wife and I made a documentary about sacred harp singing, mm-hmm. uh, which is early American shape note hymn singing. And, um, uh, and that wound up, uh, airing on PBS and getting some good attention. And, um, uh, and, and it was really where I learned how to make a movie, uh, uh, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure that there are other ways of doing it, but that's the way that I did just by hands-on doing it. Cause you know, I didn't know anybody that was, you know, this was Atlanta back then before everybody was making movies. In Atlanta. <laughs> so Marvel hadn't have, shown up yet. What's that? Mar- Marvel and, uh, walking dead hadn't showed up yet. Yes. And everybody else. I mean, it's unreal how many movies get made here. So, um, Anyway, so did that, and uh, but was teaching during that period and 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 following. I was uh, uh, teaching religion at Morehouse College and Spelman College in Atlanta, and um, uh, when the economy tanked, the recession went down, uh, enrollment uh, slowed down because they're private schools, and at Morehouse in particular, I had a a, a, uh, a class that I always taught that was not going to be available this particular semester. And so I said, well, let me make some extra dough and fill my time. And so I decided to make burritos uh, and deliver them to people every Monday. And so I just sent out an email to friends telling them that I was going to be doing this. And um, so first it was just friends ordering and then friends of friends and then people I didn't even know who they were ordering the things. And, um, uh, so long story short, it spiraled out of control and (laughs) turned into a burrito shop and then another burrito shop and another burrito shop. So it's, uh, that has occupied the last few years of my life. Well, thank you. I don't mean that I'm about to die right now. Yeah. I don't mean that these are the last (laughs) years of my life. So yes, that's how that went down. Awesome. You can cut this part, right? Oh, yeah. No, this is like 100% just me asking a weird question because I was just like, <laughs> wait, burritos? Like, I have to, like, I have to know because, like, yeah, I have yeah. to take this opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's, there was nothing in my background that would have uh, led one to believe I would go in that direction. Um, and it's not even a direction that I am content with having gone, but, um, 
but it you know it is what it is hey i've uh i i'm i'm a journalist and i've been a baker for 20 years okay because i needed a job sure um so i completely understand uh there's there's nothing that's beneath me like i'll like if if it's got to be done i'll dig ditches i'll do you know i was the guy that drove the cart at the airport that goes beep 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 at four in the morning at the at the world's uh busiest airport atlanta hartsfield airport well man until 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 they fired me for running a kid over Though I didn't, I contend that I'm innocent. But they made me uh, push wheelchairs instead. Well, that is an interesting thing to end on. And I'll probably cut this out. But Matt, thank you so much for, for talking to me about this film and your process and all of that. Like this has been for sure. uh, like a whole lot of fun. Um, This will probably run on podcast at some point down the line but it'll run in print uh at the kansas city pitches website um just in time for the the release of the film on digital platforms um i'll make sure you get a link uh and everybody else does and thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to to talk to me this has been this has been really fun yeah, no sweat. Yeah, it's good to, to speak with you. And by the way, you may be, I mean, it's, given the nature of your um, of your podcast, you may be interested in knowing that the previous film we made is going to be re-released before too long. And in addition to, so it's about sacred harp singing, mm-hmm. but we did a, a soundtrack that is, um, uh, that is a two disc set, one that is traditional acapella sacred harp singing, and the other of which is a various artists compilation of musicians doing their arrangements of sacred harp tunes. Oh. So anyone from we got John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin to do a song, <laughs> and we got uh, you know, Daniel from Danielson family to do a song, all kinds of folks contributed. So um uh when I get that, when we get it re-released, there's, like I said, there's a distributor that's interested in that. So if that gets re-released, I'll reach out to you. Please, please do. That's fantastic. Yeah. Again, yeah. Uh, have a good rest of your day, man. I uh, Very good. You too. for speaking with me. You can find more information about the film at parallel-love.com, on Twitter at parallel-love-doc, and on Facebook at parallel-love-film. 
The music of Luxury is on most streaming services, as well as at luxury.bandcamp.com. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromInspiredPod, and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistance button to help pay for our web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks with the latest installment of our occasional series, Your Favorite Soundtrack, talking Phantom of the Paradise with Cheery's Caitlin Conroy. Until then, thanks for listening. You must change, you must change. You must change.